Welcome to Church on the Hill. We're so glad you're here. God is so good, isn't he? He is so good. Boy, I feel him so strong this morning. We had uh, just such a wonderful um, God encounter uh, this weekend with uh, the Sozo training. And, uh, you know, I can, f- I can feel uh, a difference. Maybe it's in me. Maybe it's in you. But I believe it's in God. I believe it's, it's, it's an awareness of how good He is and how He so wants us free. He wants us free. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Well, I can tell you I want to be free. I'm so thankful. Um, so much happened this weekend of, of freedom and deliverance and getting broken out of stuff that we may not have even know was there, but I had the most strange, I don't want to say it was strange, but strange timing of revelation over this weekend, and it wouldn't have been when you thought it would have been. This uh, Sozo ministry team came in Friday uh, evening, and we're at my mom and dad's, and, and uh, Miss Nina, the, the female, female that came, the one that was basically leading the the uh, ministry was inside sitting at the sitting in the kitchen of my mom's kitchen and was sitting there talking and I didn't see any of the guys there were two guys there too and apparently they had gone to the garage with my dad to play ping pong and my son was out there playing ping pong and I went out there I if you know my dad at all he's very ornery and will uh will uh he's a great ping pong player and I thought oh no he's out there just beating those guys to a pulp. Sure enough, I get out there and my son is hitting, my dad has a ping pong machine and my son was hitting off the machine. And I had not seen him play in, the, in a year or so. I just don't go out there. If Pete spends all his time out there, I don't. I'm, I'm usually eating. But, uh, <laughs> and I go out there and he is really with authority hitting the ball. I can see my dad, my dad's style been transferred into him. Just with, with authority, hitting the ball. And uh, the two gentlemen were sitting there watching, and then they asked my dad to pick up the paddle. He picked it up, and here he goes. I mean, it was twins. Pete steps out, and my dad steps in. Bang, bang. I mean, it, it's intense. The, the two guys said, this is intimidating. I said, I understand. You ought to play them. Uh, but I'm just sitting back and watching, and... The main guy who wrote the book, who wrote the book Freedom Tools, that was in here ministering to us, his name was Andy Reese. Andy Reese, I later learned, it was a competitive, um, competitive water skier. Um, competed as a youth and as a young adult. He was also a, a high school baseball and football player. Also played some college ball. Very athletic. Very capable. And here stands this man. I've got two, I've got three generations, I've got a generation in between my dad and Pete. My son, the young, gets in there and hits it. My dad from the older generation gets in there and hits it. Look at this. Two guys getting it done. It has nothing to do with age. And then this man who's a phenomenal athlete, he's probably 50, 55 years old. I don't know. I probably shouldn't say, but that's my guess. He's not here, so I can talk about him. <laughs> Steps in to hit. And the balls start coming, and the balls start flying by him. And I mean, he's overwhelmed. 
can't, can't stop one. And I'm like, man, this is, this is embarrassing. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to watch this. But the Lord showed me. Everything in that man is in him to hit that ball back. He's physically able. He's mentally able. He has the paddle. He has the right equipment. Everything in him, in my mind, says he should be able to do this. He's an athlete. Why can't he do it? And the Lord said, training. Training's the difference. Pete has nothing that this man doesn't have. He's got nothing that this man doesn't have except experience and training. And you know what the Lord showed me is that we're going through marriage, we're going through life, we're going through relationships, and we've got these balls getting shot at us. Or we're getting arrows shot at us. And you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to take them right in the heart. And we're trying to survive. Boom! Oh, get up, go take it again. Boom! Get, hit the ground, get back up, try to live through it again. And we've got attack and attack and situation and situation coming at us. And we've got the paddle in our hand. We've got everything we need. Everything in us. We're saved. We know Jesus. I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about the saved. We're saved. We've got the Bible. But here we sit. Boom. Boom. Go down. Get back up. Boom. Get back up. Oh, I can take it. Boom. Take another one. Boom. God's saying, pick up the paddle. And send it back. You don't have to take that. You don't have to take that. I have given you the armor of God. I have given you God's armor to fight off this. Not just fight it off, but send it away. Don't keep taking it. You know, we take these things emotionally. We take these things bitterly. We take these things to heart. And we can't shake them. That's what I saw with this sozo. Is learning what we have accepted to reject, to get off, and to, and to recognize the next time it comes and not freak out, but send it back. And I could see this with my son. I could see it with my dad. And I could see it with Andy. Now, with ping pong, who cares? I mean, who, they care, but who cares? But with, in the spirit, I care. You know what? I care about you. You know, I feel like that's what you do when you go to a doctor's appointment is they try to tell you what's wrong and how to keep it from happening the next time. Take your vitamins, do exercise, work yourself out, quit eating like this, quit doing this, start doing the things to send these things away. But we go out, we get the pill, we feel good for a day or two, and then we go back to what we were doing, and then we wonder why the doctor must not have known anything because that just didn't work. No, we just didn't do what he said. We blame God for everything that's facing us, but we didn't take the word of God. How many of you have taken them to the heart? I have taken them to the heart. And think I'm strong enough to get through it. And I'm not. And you're not. And that is not our calling. Do you know who takes it to the heart? Jesus takes it to the heart. He's the only one that can take it to the grave and get back up and carry our whole load of sin and take it off of us. 
It is no longer my calling to carry my sin. It's no longer my calling to have to walk and get beat up in every direction that I go in. Now, I'm not sitting here a beaten, a beaten man. I'm not. God is so good. I've really been walking in victory. But I saw such a vision of attack coming at you and attack coming at us and not knowing what to do. Do you know when somebody puts a serve over, and I'll just give you a little tip that I've learned. I never was taught this, but when someone puts a curved serve and it's curving one way, it's spinning the opposite way. And if it's curving to the right, you got to hit it to the right. You'd think just the opposite. If it's curving to the right, you should hit it to the left. But no, it's spinning like crazy. And if it's spinning this way, and if I hit it that way, it's going to go that way. Now, I'm probably going to confuse you all, but if, a, if it's coming this way, I've got to hit it that way. And because of the spin, it'll go straight. That comes from knowledge. That comes from experience. And when a word comes at you that does not line up with the word of God, if you don't know it, you know what you're going to do? You're going to believe it. When someone puts bottom spin on it, you've got to hit it high. Or it's going to go right into the net. If someone puts top spin on it, you've got to hit it low. Or it's going to fly off the table. Satan knows how to spin the ball. And he knows how to spin it in a way that if you don't know the right way to hit it, you're going to screw it up. But the Word of God says, look at what Satan's done. Look at the way it's spinning. I will show you how to send it back. But you have to send it back. These words that have been spoken over us, these things that we've walked through as children, these terrible things that have happened to us, to us in our life do not have to have that effect on us anymore why how can that happen because Jesus paid the price for it he paid the price for whatever damage you have occurred or any damage you will occur and he has the way of not covering up and helping you cope with it with a pill he has a way of ripping it out and letting you completely heal back and restoring you as though that damage never occurred. That's whole. That word whole. Whole healing. Not a band-aid where the, where the damage is still in, 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 your, in your skin. Wholeness. That's what God wants to do. Whew. That's what we got to experience this weekend. And that isn't anything he preached on, but that's what I got. That's how God works. It is so good. All right, let's talk about James chapter 2. I've just, just spent my whole time, but I believe that's what God wanted to say. James chapter 2, let's, let's dive into this real quickly. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? but does not have works, can faith save him? Now this goes right along with what I've just said. You've got everything in you, but if you do not let it out, faith needs to be backed up by works. If you don't let it out, you are, you are going to continue to be beat. So I want you to apply this, what I've just said. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed, be warmed and filled, but you, give nothing to them, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? 
Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith with my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works was made perfect? Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Verse 24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. And I thank you for your manifest word, Lord. I think you have been giving, giving a word this morning. I think you have been speaking this morning. That we don't have to be beaten anymore. That we don't have to be taking these things to heart and try to somehow stay on the battlefield but just be beaten up with no armor, with no fight. Lord, I ask right now that your word would take root in our lives, that we would wake up, that our spirit would wake up. Wake up, spirit, and receive the Lord today. Let us move in that. In Jesus' name, amen. James is not setting faith against works, but rather he's talking about two kinds of faith. He's talking about a dead faith, and he's talking about a saving faith. Now, we can, we can begin to expand a little bit to believe that if our faith is not set up with works, then that means that we are dead. It also says here that the Spirit is dead, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Well, I believe that if we are not moving in our faith, is our spirit dead? I think it's something to think about. Have we missed following Christ completely if our spirit is, if we are not moving in our faith? I'm going to show you in the next couple weeks, I believe so. I believe we've missed it. Saving faith is not simply a profession or an empty claim, or is it an acceptance of a creed or a religious belief. Saving faith is that which produces an obedient life. The question literally is, can this kind of faith, the faith does not do good works, can this kind of faith save him? And the implied answer is no. I want to ask you, what will you gain if you have something but you don't use it? You know, Scripture shows us with the parable of the talents. I don't know if you know that parable or not, but go Google it. Go look it up. But it shows us that if you don't use your talent, that doesn't just mean a talent in your, in your physical body. However, I think it does mean that also. But in what God has blessed you with, if you don't use it, do you know what God says he will do? He'll take it away and he'll give it to someone who will use it. 
God has blessed you. You know, we got to see someone get sozoed yesterday that the Lord has imparted into them a blessing that she has rejected. And part of what happened yesterday is, and it was rejected for good reason. She had good reason to reject it. Lots of damage in their life. But God has given us a gift for a reason. And what's important is that we use it and that God does not take that from us and give it to someone who will use it. By all means, whatever God wants to do in me, I want to be the one to do it. That's my calling, to do what God's called me to do. What's God called you to do? Pastor, I have no idea. Well, I want to ask you something. What are you good at? What do you love? Maybe that's it. Where is your heart? What moves your heart? Let me ask you this. If, if you were given $100,000, you know, all I could hear this week on the news is this $500 million lottery. And can I encourage you just for a minute? You got a better chance of being able to go to the moon than you do of winning that lottery. Keep, hold your money. Give directly to the school systems. If that's your intent, oh, I'm just, I'm just sowing into the school systems. No, you're not. you got a better chance of going to the moon. you got a better chance of getting struck by lightning. You know I've never met anybody that's been struck by lightning? Just a thought. Not that I've met a bunch of people, but we've, we meet people, right? But let's say you get $100,000, but you don't use it, you don't invest it, you don't spend it. What good has it done you? None. You don't use it. You don't spend it. You don't invest it. What has it gained you? Nothing. Your quality of life hasn't changed. It hasn't changed because you won't spend it. Same thing here. The message of Christianity like that of every religion is that men are saved by good works. But the unique message of of the Christian religion, of following Christ alone, is that salvation comes by the works of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not the works of sinners. It's the sum of Christ's righteous works of obedience to God's royal law, which was imputed or credited to all who will join him by faith. What does that mean? Because of what Jesus did for us, we get his blessing. To all those who will put their heart, put their trust, put their belief in Christ, you gain what he, what he could do and what we could not do. It's based on the righteous works of Christ. The righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, suffered in our place. Do you know why? Because of the lack of our good works and because of the abundance of our bad works. He suffered the righteous judgment of God. That is the basis of the church's salvation. That is Christianity. Christ's active and passive works of obedience redeem all who receive him by faith. Our one and only plea is that Christ died for us. The perfect Lamb of God. That is our faith. That is our focus, is on the good works of Jesus Christ. That is the Christian religion. And you know, it's perfectly expressed in the first verse of uh, Romans chapter 5. Look what it says here. 
It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our faith does not save us because it is imperfect faith. Our faith did not obey God's law. Our faith did not die for us. Our faith did not rise from the dead. It was Christ's. It was Christ's great prerogative. He lived the loving life that we could never live. And he died the accursed death that sinners must die unless they find a Savior. Do you know if you have not received Christ... You will suffer the righteous judgment of God. The only way to bypass the righteous judgment of God is to receive Jesus. Every single person in heaven will be there because of the good works of Jesus Christ, not because of their good works. You will not make it to heaven because of anything you have done. Except, except accepting Christ. Our faith focused on Him is the channel by which His blessings become ours. So, what is the purpose of this letter from James? believe that he is stating that the whole New Testament affirms that every Christian through faith in the Son of God has this calling. And that calling is to do good works. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Do you know why I got the water hose? We have the supply. We have the water. But if we don't turn the hose on, we will get nothing. There's nothing to be gotten. We've got to turn the hose on. How do we turn the hose on? By doing our faith. By doing our faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. One of the more serious problems that has confronted the church, Christ's church from the very beginning, and that through through history and through the present time, is that so many profess the Christian faith but do very little to prove their faith. In other words, they don't behave and act the way a Christian should. Let me ask you, how should a Christian act and believe? The main way that, it, that I believe that a Christian should act is defined in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Boy, this is a big verse. Be holy. For I am holy. You know, it says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
We are to seek righteousness. What is righteousness? It is finding out God's way to, make, to, to be right, to do the right thing. What is the right thing that God's word says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? His way, his way of doing things. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It says here, be holy, for I am holy. In other words, we have to persevere in leading a holy life. But you know, it's something that we're not always willing to do. Say one of the greatest temptations that we confront is to profess our faith and not having good works to back it up. But the truth of the fact, but the truth is that faith without works is a contradiction in terms. Let me clarify something. There may, be, there may be some of you out there that would say, you know what, is there a contradiction between what Paul teaches about salvation uh, as found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Look at this right here for just a minute, and I'll close here. I'm almost done. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and, it is, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Sound a little bit like a contradiction? But I believe that these verses from James do not contradict at all. Why? Because Paul here is talking about, is talking to the unsaved. James is talking to the saved. Nowhere have we seen so far when we started in James chapter 1, it's talking about believers who's going through trials. It's talking about believers who's getting beat up and needs to ask for wisdom. It's talking about believers, when you face problems, how to face them. Then here in James chapter 2, he's talking about believers who now have faith. You have faith in Christ, releasing that faith. But Paul here is talking to those who don't know Jesus. There is a difference. You cannot get to heaven by your works. And that's what Paul says here. It's nothing that you've done yourself. It's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. No one is good enough. No one is good enough. Jesus was the only one. He is the only way. So we can confidently say that James's teaching is not a contradiction, but rather it teaches us that once we receive salvation... Once we establish a genuine relationship with God, do you know that this isn't going to happen? You can come up here and pray the prayer, but without that genuine relationship with God, your actions are not going to change. Then the works that reflect our relationship with God must flow from within us. Let me compare it. Can a car work without gasoline? Try that. I've tried it. I can lay hands on my car all day long. I can pray all day. But if my car doesn't have gas, it is not moving. i got to have gas. Just like a car can't work without gasoline, our faith will not be able to properly function without works. In other words, for our faith to be effective, it has to be accompanied and nourished by works. That's why this verse here makes so much sense. James 2.14 what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? It's a crucial point here. Saying we have faith is easy. 
Saying we have faith is something that easily flows from our lips. But just because we're able to utter these words doesn't mean that we profess a genuine faith. The truth of the matter is we're capable of saying a lot of things. And words are cheap. But what really counts is our actions. You know, the word says we can know who you are by your fruit. And that a bad heart can't produce good fruit. And a good heart can't produce bad fruit. Our faith must accompany our works. Our faith has to accompany our works. What kind of works am I talking about? When we genuinely accept Christ in our heart, then a drastic change should take place. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The truth, the truth is, if we say we have Christ in our hearts, and we have accepted Christ, then we can't continue to lead a life of the old person. We can't continue to lead a sinful life, but we must strive toward holiness. You know what strive means? Try. Try. God knows you're not perfect. Ephesians 4.22 says this, If you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, that we are to put it off, we are to take it off the old person and put on the new. We can't say that we possess a genuine faith if a radical change hasn't taken place. By, by claiming that we have accepted Christ, but we don't change, we are lying to ourselves. Professing that we are Christians and not changing is just a bunch of empty words. Because if we don't change our heart, because if we don't change, our heart will never be in the appropriate place. In fact, we will not live for Christ. Let's put our faith to work. People in our city, people in our church, people in our schools, people at our work are hurting. Marriages are falling apart. Relationships are, are damaged. They need help. And you know what? That's the role of the church. They need help. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. In your bulletin, you've got, you've got an invite card. One very simple way. Invite somebody. Do you know why people come to church? It's not because of advertising. It's not because of TV. It's not because of radio. It's not because of billboards. It's because of you. Do you know why I came to this church? Because I was invited. People can send me flyers. People can do all kinds of stuff to try to get me there. But when someone comes and looks me in the eye, says, will you come? People want to be asked. They want to be included. You know, I encourage you. Release your faith. But you know what? When you hand this, you know what you're saying? I know Jesus. Change needs to occur in you. Is there any reason why he'd want to come to your church by the way you act? Are you really following Christ? It's time for a change. And you know what? It's time to put our faith to work. We are right about to start a building, pro a building project out here in about the next month. And I am so excited. This morning I could just feel the Lord moving and, and moving in, in my faith 
We're about to build 14,000 square feet for our children and for our youth. For a fellowship hall. And I'm so excited. I got to tell you, it takes faith though. It's going to take God. But I want to encourage you, God has never left me nor forsook me. Never. And God, I, I, I had a word this morning, I'm not going to share it. But it was basically, I'm the provider. Watch me provide. Can I tell you in your life, God's the provider. Watch him provide. Trust him. Start to walk according to his word. Would you do it? Would you turn the faucet on this week and try to release some faith? Encourage somebody. Love on somebody. Give somebody $5 that's in need at Walmart. Do something. You would be surprised what $5 will do. You'll be surprised what $5 will do in you. You guys stand up with me. If you're praying with me this morning, come on down. I want to give you a chance to be prayed for. I want to give you a chance to release your faith right now. And you know, by stepping out, you know what you're saying? God, I'm not in control and I need you. What are you battling? I want you to know that the power that right raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's here this morning to help you out of what you're going through. But you've got to step out. You've got to quit taking those arrows to heart and let Jesus take them. It says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Church, your burden, your yoke is heavy and you can't carry it. Do you know Jesus? Do you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Right where you sit, just say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Do you know he will take you right where you are? Right where you are, he will take you just like you are. You cannot clean yourself up enough to make yourself acceptable. The only way to be acceptable before God is to receive Christ. Would you do that this morning? If you need prayer, step on out and let us pray with you as we sing.